Hello and welcome to the Xenothesis podcast. My name is Richard Acton, and in this episode, episode 31, we are covering chapters 1 and 2 of Part 2 Phoenix of Book 2 Adulthood Rites of the Xenogenesis Trilogy by Octavia Butler. And I'm joined, as always, by my co-host. Michael Glinka. Hello, everyone. You did a beautiful, smooth intro. It was really <laughs> nice. I enjoyed that. That was Thank one you. breath. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And I mean, the, it, the titles are quite complicated. <laughs> no, honestly, <laughs> I mean? like, full-on admiration of, like, um, at least this, this part is called Low. Uh, no, sorry, Phoenix. Uh, the Low previous was the previous one, one yeah. yeah. But the mm. next one <laughs> is a bit of a uh, mouthful. Yeah, that could be interesting. Uh, is it, is it or something oh like that? The, the unpronounceable one? I can't remember. <laughs> if I have to pronounce it, I'm going to kill myself. Gee. <laughs> Uh, we'll see. Yeah, it seems it looks almost like um, uh, Maya or Inca or one of Aztec or something like that. One of those weird, um, like lots of X's and stuff. It's... Actually, question. <laughs> that speaking yeah. of, do we know on what languages did um, Octavia Butler base her Onkali language on? Um, I don't know. I mean, we never really get a, a sort of spoken or written on Kali like represented explicitly in the book it's always just translated into English right so I don't yes. know if we have a uh, any detailed linguistic underpinnings of what, what that's supposed to be but just considering the fact that you no know, just from the writer's perspective right she had to base mm -hmm. the language on something like the certain words on like you know the full names of the for example in Ikan, oh, and, stuff course, like, yeah. and we mm -hmm. all have that so, so we do have some basis of certain languages maybe being an inspiration i just was curious mm -hmm. if you would know maybe um um if this that's uh, a good question so maybe we can look uh, into it for the next episode, like see what the potential language yeah. is. I mean, I, I know she she did actually travel to South America when she was researching for for the um, I think for the second two books. So she mm -hmm. she kind of went to the the jungle to do it. I think um, used some of the the MacArthur Fellowship funds to to go. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, but I don't know any more details than that. So. Yeah. We'll definitely investigate uh -huh. for the next um, hmm. chat uh, for the next recording, or but I probably will also check the references for this one just to uh, mm -hmm. restart, uh, jumpstart the episode. Yeah, occasionally if we we miss stuff in the episode, it goes in the references. <laughs> yes, just just for everyone, to FYI. Yeah, occasionally serve as minor corrections. <laughs> Now, I wanted to start the episode uh, with predictions, but I thought that because we had a small conversation before the episode, and I think it needs to be re. It has to be on a recording because I still am in <laughs> awe of Richard's knowledge, of intricate knowledge of certain um, aspects. So, could you please uh, give us some feedback, uh, some uh, intro to what you're, <laughs> what we were discussing? Okay. About. I mean, so the, there is there's a vague connection to previous stuff we've discussed on the podcast because I think the Harris Hawk at some point came up before, and I cannot remember in which context. But uh, so the, the reason this came up again, um, the Harris Hawk, uh, is because I, I last week sometime I watched the first episode of of a TV show called The Last Kingdom based on um, some novels by Bernard Caldwell. Um, and it's quite popular these days. Uh, but the uh, in the opening shot of this this TV series, there's a uh, a guy with a, a Harris hawk on his arm, uh, and the, you know it flies around and makes very Harris hawk sounding noises, and has very it's a very clearly Harris hawk plumage. They have this distinctive white tail, white tips on their tail, right? So it's definitely mm -hmm. a Harris hawk. Um, but go on. And this show. Is is like so the the guy's name is Uhtred and he's in Northumbria at Bambra Castle and so the, there was an Uhtred at Northumbria in Bambra uh, at a, just after one thousand AD, mm -hmm. right? The, yes, right. So that's the rough timeline. Although actually, in later in the show, I think they mentioned they're going to talk to like an army of King Ethelwolf of Wessex, which would mean it would have to be before. Uh, 871, when Alfred the Great succeeded Ethelwolf to the throne of Wessex. So the timeline's not quite... Like, it's, there's like a so hundred years and a bit around, but it's it's definitely like before, around about 1000 AD and possibly in the 900s, right? So it's just before William the Conqueror coming to England? Yeah, before the okay, Norman okay. Conquest. Okay, okay. Right? Um, 
and which means it's definitely before any opportunity for the a Harris Hawk, which are natives of South America and are pack hunters, which I think was the context in which they came up before, right? They're, they're great falconry birds because they have um, uh, social, um, they take social cues very well, so they can be trained well because they're mm-hmm. used to working in groups. Okay, okay. Um, so I think, yeah, I, I mentioned this in the context of like better and worse animals for domestication. I think that was where this came up before. Mm-hmm. And, and the Harris Hawk was an example of an animal that was very... Uh, effective as a domesticated bird because it has this uh, natural pattern of yes. hunting in packs right um but yeah i mean so the, this this threw me out of the the initial <laughs> frame of the episode for several minutes while i tried to I was like is that a harris that's definitely a harris hawk kind of looked back over the footage again and i was like then i sort of did a little bit of checking to double check my facts on this i was like yes that definitely could not possibly have been in <laughs> at this point in time uh in the show so i was like this is one of the things where it's like get the little minor details right it's it's, (laughs) so i just i am in full admiration of you knowing that like seeing this scene that in those at the times nine uh, in uh 900 or the 10th century uh there shouldn't be any harris hogs because there shouldn't be they were later and you noticed that wow Well, but I mean, like, if you happen to know that, then it, it, like, it it upsets the, the, you know, the immersion, right? It's like, well, I mean, I'm saying it's the same kind of thing that you get with, um, like, the canonical example of this is, is when Neil deGrasse Tyson tweeted about the sky over, um, the scene in Titanic when they have the night sky above the, like, the sinking ship. It was like, this is the wrong sky, right? (laughs) The sky would not have looked like that at this time in 1912, right? whatever it was. Uh, I can't remember what the date was, but yeah, there was like you could have computed the correct sky. It wouldn't have been hard. It's like here, look, this is what it was supposed to look like. <laughs> Send it to James Cameron. <laughs> oh my dear lord! Like, but you know, and what? then in the remastered version, it now has the right sky. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. I need to say honestly, this details like this really. I I love listening to people when they find those little details like that. It's for me, it's just beautiful that like this little random knowledge. Well, not random. Neil deGrasse Tyson has lots of you know astrophysics uh, degree, and you know he he is the physics you know astrophysics guy. But like hmm. like when people have this interesting knowledge about something, and then it appears somewhere, and it just like touches them the wrong way they're like this is wrong and they just <laughs> it's just beautiful yeah. to listen i love but, it <laughs> i mean the the thing that that irks uh, that irks us pedants right <laughs> is when it's like it's easy that you could have gotten it right, right? oh yes because i mean like the there are plenty of working peregrine falcons and and goshawks and if you'd really wanted to like subtly underline the point that this guy was high status you could have given him a geo falcon because those were like only uh, typically held, had by like royals and people of very high status right mm-hmm. you, you, they could have just put in the right bird right all of those are like especially peregrines widely available as like working birds in the uk right i mean we we, we used to have at southampton the there was a harris hawk and a peregrine that they brought in yes. to catch the pa- pigeons right yes, yes. The, there's it's not like they're difficult to find <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, like, you know, I would expect maybe when they were getting those birds, they haven't consulted maybe the actual owners of the birds, like, maybe they would have possessed that historical knowledge. I mean, like, I would be surprised if someone who was a a falconer wasn't somewhat familiar with the history of the Harris Hawk. Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm saying. It's It's a pretty well-known one. That's what I'm saying. they have a handler. Yeah, like, that's what I'm saying, is, like, maybe they just didn't bother to listen to those people, like, as a minor detail, but, like, in the same way, an argument would be, like, oh, it's just, you know, it's not a document or anything, but still, I understand that there's a minor detail that could be easily addressed and, you know... Yeah, and so there's, there's a certain, admittedly very small and very pedantic section of your audience who will find this like disconcerting <laughs> and throw them out of the experience so it's like attention to detail people you know what like now <laughs> that we are studying these books in so much detail Octavius Butler's Xenogenesis which we'll come back in a second I feel like when mm. the Amazon Amazon yes Amazon um, series is gonna come out 
both of us are gonna be like, nope, you got this wrong. Nope, this is not how it was. Nope. <laughs> mm, yeah, I mean, I don't know if that. It, 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 so who knows if it actually will come out? Because yeah. like these things, it, it it takes a while, and it's very unclear. Like they can die at basically any point in the production pipeline. So, and that was a little while back. So it may or may not ever make it through. But yeah, I am. I'm a little concerned about what they might do with an adaptation. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, no. let, let's see, let's see. I do hope that it's going to be, you know, it's going, that it's going to follow closely the, the book. Because honestly, like, you don't have to dramatize in any way. You don't have to make in any weird, you know, just follow on the, the, the books. They're perfectly fine as they are. But let's see. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, you do have to make some, like, it requires translating into a new medium. So they, they have to take a certain amount of, uh, of license. It's just a question of... Uh, whether or not they have anyone who actually has an appreciation for the hard sci-fi aspects and, uh, of the of the work and is interested in translating those, because yeah. I, I suspect, uh, especially in, in the sort of current um, the current zeitgeist, I, I, I doubt they'll have someone with 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 that degree of uh, focus on that aspect of it. They'll be interested in translating some of the sort of more political messages, and they will probably do so at the expense of the. Uh, of the the sort of accuracy, but who knows? Like, maybe uh, I I'm hate being that. Pessimistic. No, please we'll, don't we'll do that. See. Contact us. <laughs> Listen, we are the man you can contact about. Uh, we will ha- we'll keep everything in the, in check. Come on, let's 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 do it. Don't put well, any political a, nonsense. There's no, no need. Like there's already politics in the in the book. I say it's it's a, yeah, it's, a it's a very political. Uh, well, not, it's like well, it's got a lot of in, in, important politically relevant uh, aspects to the narrative. It's just like, but my point is, you don't have to sacrifice some of the like the technical accuracy that yes. uh, in order to convey those messages. In fact, the accuracy helps you convey those messages well because it anchors them to reality. Yes, uh, absolutely. If you start trying to detach them from the underpinnings, then 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 things get unclear, and it's. Uh, Yes, and it gets less useful as as an as an analogy because it ceases to be strongly analogous to the world in which we actually live. But uh, yeah, okay. Uh, well, anyway, nerd, nerd ran over. Um. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so back to Xenogenesis chapter one, part two. Right. Let's let's get done with the predictions. Um, <laughs> it was great. Honestly, I love that you spotted something so little. It's fantastic. So. In my prediction in chapter one, I thought that we'll see the journey Akin survived going to the human village with his captors. And at some point, maybe one of them realizes like that there's something different with the boy. But I missed the mark. It's the chapter does one. It's not the chapter one that does it. It's chapter two. Yeah, it takes a minute before we, uh, before we get to that stage. Yeah. In chapter one, we have uh, still Tino. The story of Tino. Yeah, although we're, we're almost in in uh, Dishan's perspective initially, yes. which yes, is yes. unusual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is interesting because mm. we are told, like, we're shown uh, a bit more also about the 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 growth of the larvae, the ship larvae. Hmm. Yeah. But anyway, so should we start then with the with the summary? Yeah, let, let's do that. So, chapter one starts with Dishan and the description of the low. Uh, of what exactly it is and its growth. Dichan, at the time of the st- as the story starts, was at the uh, as it was at an Oxbow Lake, uh, manipulating the low entity, the, the part, the ship, the, the village that ev- everyone the story was taking place, um, from trying to engulf the lake and all the living beings in it. As Dichan describes it, Low was going to take up all the nutrients and even with help, it would not be able to be taught to provide the animals with what they need to eat and survive. Um, the only useful thing it could provide at that point of time was oxygen. But as it was, Low was changing, moving to the next stage of growth where it could incorporate the Earth's vegeta- vegetation to itself, sustain it and benefit from it. On its own, it could learn uh, slowly how to do it and in the process, kill most of the beings. Um, but with the help of the Onkali, the process would be without any sacrifices and progress in much, much faster way. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Sort of uh, growing out into the surrounding environment and uh, kind of selecting for anything that it can keep alive on it, but in a 
conventional evolutionary sense of just killing everything that doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, like you know, just like an evolution basically. That that doesn't work. That doesn't work. Okay, this works, and then continue with on. But like, it's interesting that that it's it's like a how would you even describe it in terms of in, on Earth, like a aspect. Ah. Uh. I mean, maybe something like a climate change type scenario. Yeah, it's like, like it's a... basically like an ecosystem in a way that you know if yeah. it's uh, if things there's a change in ecosystem, you know things have to balance ch- its itself out, right? But um, or like a like a border between two biomes shifting, like in in desertification or, or in um, something like that, right? yes. where you've got a a shift going on. Yeah, you know? very interesting. Interesting the fact that you no. Know, um, starting from a like a larvae planted in Earth, and then coming becoming this village that basically eats everything that would in, try to intrude in its territory, but while camouflaging itself. And now it's going to under next stage of growth where it can incorporate and like live in a sort of symbiotic um, stage instead of being parasitic. Now it's symbiotic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a very interesting concept. A very cool, uh, very cool way of building a spaceship. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a really interesting um, mm. way. A very novel, I would say, different to what one would be expecting from a alien species. Mm-hmm. So as Dichan uh, made his way out of the water, he heard the cry, and as he was listening, he wondered what happened in the air while he was in the water. When he heard the cry again, he ran towards it as fast as he could, making his sensory tentacles flat against the body to reduce any damage from the flora and fauna on its way. Um, he could smell Akin and Tina as well as some strange men as he approached mm. that uh, area where we yeah, left off the last think, stage, last episode. I think it's, it's yeah, where, where uh, Akin was left, uh, I mean, where uh, um, Tina was left uh, kind of potentially dying. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, and I think that there was an interesting little thing that, that uh, Dishan thought while he was um, kind of going through this, uh, you know, leaving the lake and finding um, uh, Tino. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, I'll just read this quote. He had been born to work with a human male parallel to help raise children with the aid of such a person. And yet he had had to limp along without this essential other. How were children to learn to understand the human male of themselves, aside they all possessed whatever their eventual sex? Uh, so yeah, it's it's uh, kind of interesting uh, that the um, that Deshaun has this uh, you know perception of, of Tino as like contributing an, another component to the uh, the family group, right? Providing yeah. another kind of model for the 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 children to to learn about how you know their own psychology and biology uh which yeah i thought it was a, an interesting facet and we'd kind of previously been considering the the relationships as just being like focusing on three people in the kind of conventional owen Coley context mm-hmm. where you have you know a male female and an uloi but the the trade families are kind of they're different still right they're, they're not even a three-person group they're kind of a five-person unit because yeah. you've got like a male and female of each species plus an uloi yeah, absolutely. So it's it's interesting that like we finally see um, that it's not anymore. It's pretty crazy when you think about five family group, like five parents to and help to understand, you know, help the child to understand its biology, right? The the alien mm. and the human um, biology. It's, it's it's interesting that he it, he felt that you no. Know, for the years that have passed since um, uh, Joseph's death, um, and the fact that Lilith did spend some time with Victor, but not that mm. long, um, it seems that Dichan felt very, very left alone to his um, him trying to help the, the you know, Lilith's children, um, well, their children, to understand mm. their. Um, human parts, the male human part. Mm. Yeah, sort of uh, lacking a, a, a counterpart. Yes. Which is yeah, an interesting, an interesting uh, thing for for him to be feeling. Yeah. Yeah, and I think this happens. This this thought happens when he finally reaches uh, Tino. 
when he he finds Tino and he's concerned you know, about Tino's health. So mm-hmm. as the book goes, when when he reached the place where he was running with the, the, the smell and the shout, um, he couldn't see Tino at first or Akin, but quickly locating him under a tree and his body was twitching tino's body was twitching and when dichan brought him and you know, tino was dying he had brain damage that dichan could not heal but nikan sure could and i think those the, the thoughts when you know like the possibility of tino dying well finally he had a male to take help to take care of the kids and you know accepting them no matter whatever you know tino was not happy with but still accepting the children was that's what he was worried about um, so he stopped the internal bleeding and found that Tino's skull was caved in. And that was also something for Nikanj to fix. And once Tino was stable, Dichan left him and went to the edge of low to one of the pseudo trees to instruct it several times um, in the code of pressures that would be diverted to everyone in low. He could smell that the humans passed over the river, so they needed to be chased because Akin was nowhere to be found and they would lose track of them very soon. And the, chap- the chapter one ends with Dichan worrying about Akin. Will they hurt him? Will they hurt him if they realize how intelligent he is? Hmm. That's interesting, the, the sort of way in which he signals this. It seems like the, the low entity is capable of uh, communicating some kind of alarm back to everyone Yeah. on it. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, using those pressures on that tree that the whole body would then, um, of that entity... Um, would spread it to everyone so everybody who can understand basically all the onkali definitely maybe the constructs as well would mm. feel those um, warning signs and be able to transmit them so I guess um, the message was straight to Nikanj be like get your ass here quickly because you know we're in dire need of someone to be able to Presumably. kill them. Yeah. I wonder actually just of note I wonder, like, if Onkali do have, like, swear words and, like, conversation, like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and actually, it was quite interesting. In this section, we, we hear, um, like, Dishan just says that, uh, you know, you ran to a place and so on. I don't think we've ever really seen the Onkali, like, run flustered. Yeah, they, yeah. They don't really do that. Yeah, <laughs> like, just, uh... the thing is, I always imagined mm. Onkali to be, like, I don't know, how do I describe it... Uh, like one piece body, like not having arms really, or like oh, how I describe it, like how I imagine it, like popsicle head, like no, like they head don't they have one <laughs> continuous body of a slug and then tentacles coming from yeah. their body. I imagine like is it what's from the Doctor Who those like um those robots that kill everything? What's that? Oh, the Daleks. Yeah, Daleks. Yeah, basically, I imagine them like that, but organic. Basically, they they don't have really limbs. They have like you no know, those protrusions, right? But they're like one continuous uh, body, okay. right? Um, this hmm. is like cone-shaped bodies, and I imagine them like being hmm. so. It's like running, is like, mm, do they have limbs? Like, yeah, I still cannot imagine properly how would the um yeah Onkali look like. We don't really get much discussion of their legs, like their their arms and their tentacles are discussed kind of a lot. We don't we don't really get much talk of legs. Yeah. So I was yeah. just like, I mean, I saw some pictures of like people imagining how they look like, and for example, I think in the book one, the picture of uh, I think it's Nikanj. Although initially I thought it was Chitaya, but I think it was Nikanj, mm. like and Lilith's on the front cover. So in a way, okay. there is like sort of the body shown but i always still imagine them like being like basically cones <laughs> hmm. but anyway that's just 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 off topic i thought that i share my imagination of dalek like onkali yeah yeah i mean it, it is it's, it's interesting to think about what, what they actually look like because uh, yeah, you don't always explicitly kind of represent them as a as a picture right yeah a, exactly because i mean the yeah. constructs mm. are very well described you know some have gray skin mm. most of them they look like human like but they have some extra parts on their body or their skin is different something something you know similar mm-hmm. but donkali are never really well described like the, the alienness is still preserved you know for our imagination mm. yeah I think that, actually yeah that may well be a a, a deliberate uh, choice to some degree to leave a certain amount of ambiguity in the mm-hmm. description just to uh yeah, yeah. Let you fill in your own gaps. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, my chapter two prediction um, is the same as the ch- for chapter one. 
uh basically i completely missed the mark but i think this is where we hit um uh we you know akin's perspective and if you know if anything happens to him or mm. what will they do so yes uh so i i think your your, your predictions are a bit more a bit closer for, for the second chapter right yeah uh, a yeah. bit yeah they, they do start a little bit to appreciate that he's not quite what he perhaps seems externally to be to be fair i need to be i need to rant about this uh chapter a bit later on because i hmm. i got a bit confused well not confused i got a bit un- annoyed with the the behavior of the humans in it but we'll get to yes it. um <laughs> uh, yeah i think you're supposed to be annoyed with the behavior of the humans yeah in this but chapter. in the same time it, it, i'll explain what's the problem when we get to it um hmm. so Okay, then. The chapter 2 starts uh, with Akin's perspective. The humans were swimming in a narrow canoe. Uh, canoe? Canoe? What's the pronunciation? Canoe. Canoe, canoe upriver, yeah. rowing in pairs to quickly get out of the range of low. At the beginning, of, uh, at the beginning um, Akin would try to scream as loud as far and as, for as long as possible, eventually got tired. No, he was just a child. Also, the man who caught him once dangled him by his feet and threatened him to dunk him in the river if he did not stay quiet. So that was another reason. Um, yeah. Akin was terrified Absolute. of the man. Like, you know, broad, bearded, red face, you no know, bitter, angry face. And the man held Akin disgustingly, like as if boy was a snake or an alien. So... Is it just like throughout the section like these people clearly have no idea how you're supposed to hold a baby? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I feel like they they really didn't think it through um yeah when they stole akin mm-hmm. yep and this is like they're, ha- they're like dangling by a leg and then like picking him up by an arm and it's like like hot pinning like holding him underneath an arm yeah. it's like okay, what, what are you doing especially akin was only one year old right yeah so yeah. his skull um bones wouldn't have fused completely as of yet uh, yeah, I think not. Then, yeah. so there still be um, one. There still be very soft because um, humans, mm. babies, human skulls develop differently to the rest of the body's um, bones, right? The, like um, mm. it's called the intramembranous um, um, bone, where basically it starts. It doesn't start from cartilage. It's just a tissue that start becomes um, calcifies over time, whereas. Um, Bones in the rest of in our bodies, like long bones, for example, they start as a collagen um, bones, very soft, mm. but then they start to deposit the collagen matrix. It's a bit different. I know it sounds similar, yeah. but it's slightly different. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't know that they uh, didn't start with a uh, or didn't sort of go through a cartilaginous intermediate. No, no, no. Well. The skull doesn't. Yeah. Um, it's mm. it's. It's very similar because I mean everything has to have some hmm. collagen as ma- uh, basis, but it's the cells that are there that actually calcify. But anyway, hmm. it's it's a very similar process, but um, it's different. It's different enough to be separated anatomically. Um, so I would say that you know dangling him and everything, and then dropping him at some point in the in the chapter, it's not a good for the child. Like really not yeah. good. Even mm. Akin points out, like, who drops a child? <laughs> yeah. So if they, do they normally treat human babies like this? Because if so, I'm like, I'm amazed they're alive. Yeah. <laughs> uh, without any uh-huh. permanent you know, brain damage. Uh-huh. Mm. You know, that's why, like, for example, like, um, interesting fact, you know, like, why some cultures, you know, the skulls uh, recovered from, like, the baby skulls, like, people thought initially Mm -hmm. they were alien, because the shape of the head was just just so moldable initially, so, you know, like, if you drop or Mm -hmm. if you put them in a specific, like, you know, um, molds, like, wooden molds, you could literally make the skull grow in a very, very specific shape, so, it's... Yeah, yeah. You have to be careful with a baby's head, like very, very careful. Um, but anyway, with time, uh, Akin finally fell asleep just to wake up with water splashing on his face. Um, it was raining hard and the canoe was catching water. Akin thought that if it gets bad enough, eventually they'll have to stop. But as he looked um, at the riverbanks, he saw full of vegetation and high eroding cliffs, something absent and low. Well, obviously, because it was, the low was just eating everything. Mm. 
Eventually, yeah. <laughs> the men gave up on rowing and went ahead to the riverbank, and they did not make it fully to the shore before the canoe sank. This is an extract from the book. The men cursed and jumped out to pull the boat onto a broad mud flat while Akin stayed where he was, all but swimming. They dumped the boat, tipping both him and the water over one side, laughing when he slid along the mud. Like, honestly, this is... You don't treat a child like this. Like, what? Like, literally, a one-year-old child, and you just, like, yeah. dump it and just let it slide. Like, if it wasn't any normal child, it would be mm -hmm. seriously bruised up. Like, mm -hmm. wow. Yeah, and then here, one of them grabbed Akin by a leg and asked in order to babysit him, but an argument broke, and eventually Akin was kept under the watch of the terrifying man. Like, grabbed by the leg? Like... God, this... Yeah. The men needed to find shelter because of the rain. Uh, kept pouring and the night was approaching. Um, Akin was held by the man sleeping in the mud, but when they reached a more sure-foot path, the man told Akin to walk by himself. You know, at the time, Akin was thinking, like, oh, if he was uh... mature enough, he would probably we could probably escape them by breathing underwater, but as it was, he wasn't able because he was too young. Hmm. Uh, but like the, the, again, a one-year-old like he's walking through a jungle. Uh, like that's the, they're usually not exactly like you know straightforward terrain. <laughs> yeah. So this is another uh, beef I have with this chapter, and I don't know like um, what those people were thinking because um, here, like, because he was a child, and I know he's Akin started slowly to get behind the man, right? When with the increasing distance, he was growing more and more frightened. He fell several times and eventually exhausted, just stopped following them altogether. He found some leaves that were edible, although the good stuff, as he described, was way above where he could reach. He thought of Tino, that he did not know much about the forest plants. Tino would only eat the obvious things that people grew in Phoenix. If a thing didn't look familiar he would not touch it. Akin was eating some of special nutritious grey fungus when he heard one of the men coming back for him. Uh, to, to be fair to Tino, that is probably an excellent pause. No, no, honestly, to Akin's, uh, to, sorry, to Tino's uh, um, credit, it it's makes sense to like, not trying to eat leaves of a plant if you don't know what it is and it potentially could kill you. Mm-hmm. Um, Akin, this is an excerpt from a book, he swallowed quickly, muddied one hand deliberately and wiped it over his face. If he were simply dirty, the men would pay no attention, but if only his mouth was dirty, they might decide, they might decide to try to make him throw up. That's a really smart approach mm. to this whole thing, you know, like the fact that he could eat and then, without their knowledge, just in case. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a clever little uh, deception to, you know, we keep we keep seeing the the kind of emphasis that put it that uh, we're putting on on his uh, intelligence, um, and even in these kind of uh, like socially complex situations where he's got to try and model these other people and what they might do, mm. is is doing really well at uh, uh, sort of you know, uh, guessing what they might do and what they might think, yeah, and, and uh, uh, adjusting accordingly. Yeah. yeah. Um, mm. So the man cursing went and grabbed Akin and brought him to the shelter where the other men were building. They found a relatively dry place well protected by the forest canopy and swept it clean. Um, they stretched latex sealed cloth from a pair of small trees to the ground. Um, now they were preparing the flooring. Akin thought that at least they were not planning to sleep in the mud. For a strange reason though, they didn't build fire and sat down to eat some dry fruits and nuts and drink alcohol. They gave a kid to try some, but after realizing what it was, he would not touch it again. Like, they give a kid drink alcohol, like, holy balls. I mean, honestly, this is like, literally barbarians, like, you, you like, I don't know. I mean, like, if you had a, a, a baby that was, uh, you know, making noise, it used to be relatively common practice to just, like, you know, get a little bit of uh, spirit on your finger and... Like, put it on the gums. Well, I mean, yes. And also, but. I've heard stories like, you know, mothers, when they were breastfeeding, they were suggested to give to drink alcohol, to the alcohol transferred to the baby so that, you know, sleeps better. It's just, <laughs> wow, honestly. Like, the fact that those practices were uh, suggested is just, it's unbelievable. Like And not long ago. I mean, yeah. It, it worked, kind of. Uh, I mean... 
I mean, to be fair, to give credit to circumstances that they are in the book, whatever, you know, water might be not drinkable because of parasites. The alcohol is the only way to really survive. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Although, like, it, it's that works for, like, you know, mead at a few percent to keep the stuff yes, away. Yes, yes. But if you're drinking spirits, it's not going to help you with your hydration. <laughs> yes, that's correct. But, um, yeah, I hope that they're drinking something um, similar to um, concentration of beer or something as nice. Because, I mean, in mm. medieval times, the kids, even kids would be dr- given, like, very, very diluted alcohol because water wasn't drinkable. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, it's understandable, right, at the time that, like, drinking alcohol was necessary. And I think I heard a story, read a story. Was it London or when there was a some outbreak and basically there was a brewery that the only the works from the brewery were did not get sick because they were only drinking the alcohol but i don't remember what yeah that, that's the the famous cholera outbreak with the um uh oh, i'm spacing on the doctor's name um with the water pump but that was um because the brewery had a separate water supply rather than because they were drinking um oh really i thought it was the alcohol okay uh, just the beer but I mean, well, some of them were also just mainly drinking the beer, <laughs> but they also had a separate water supply, so that they for, for making the as the input to the brewing process. But yeah, gotcha, gotcha. Well, thank you for clarifying. I thought it was basically mm-hmm. uh, mostly alcohol that was the reason behind. Um. <laughs> yeah, but it was a it was definitely a widespread thing. Like I think mead mead was one of the popular ones because you know if you you're drinking the water then like you know dysentery and and um you know various other uh waterborne diseases were a serious problem so you know, it was a better bet yeah 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 man honestly those times a conversation and this is where my beef starts with the chapter so a conversation started between the men discussing the boy wonder if he can eat hard food and thinking about tina and what he they had to do uh what he had to do uh, to have a baby um you put a clip from here from the book. Uh, yeah, so in, in this point, there's, there's a little exchange between the two where um, uh, one of them says, "You know what you did. If you didn't know, you wouldn't. Uh, you wouldn't. You would have died of old age or disease by now." And this, this seems to suggest that one of the men has uh, had the Uloi treatment, as it were. He's been subjected to their uh, seductions. Yes, I would guess. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And seems to be being uh, judged for it by the others. Honestly, like, and then the men then wonder what would they get for the boy. But as they were discussing, some of the men started to get agitated, saying that kidnapping the child will bring them nothing but misfortune. It's better to leave Akin to someone and escape before Don Kali find them. Akin went to take care of his needs at the time, and surprisingly, the men didn't stop him from wandering, but always kept an eye on him as he was walking around. The men continued to wonder and argue about Akin, sounding more and more ominous, that scared Akin, but the fear could not keep him awake. After a while, he was relieved that maybe they will trade him for some, to someone in Phoenix, hopefully Tino's parents. Hmm. So the, I think this is this is the point where they kind of, um, they notice he's probably a little bit more intelligent than they might yes. uh, have yes. guessed before, because he comes, he comes back from having relieved himself with a bunch of palm leaves to make a, like a bed for himself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a little bit of a giveaway. I'm kind of surprised he, uh, kind of surprised he did that. I thought he might try and keep playing it a bit more helpless. Yes. But uh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, well, let's finish this off, and I'll tell you what my problem in the chapter is. After some time passed, hmm. Akina woke to find someone holding him and someone else trying to feed him something. He knew that the men were drunk, and he what he felt was beans that were deadly if eaten. To fight back, Akin tried to shout, but the other men were hard asleep, so in desperation, Akin vomited on the intruding hand. The man jumped back, cursing, and then falling over one of the sleeping men. The chaos ensued, uh, ensued, and in the terrifying confusion, Akin escaped to the outside, fleeing into the forest. He was scared. The forest was dangerous, but what really frightened Akin was being alone, and the chapter ends with Akin missing Lilith. So... I have the beef with this chapter, serious beef with this chapter. We have a group of men that are supposed to go and kidnap the kid. Okay, cool, fair mm-hmm. enough. They did it several times. But halfway through the journey back, they're like, you know what, let's kill the kid because it's it's they're going to get in trouble for kidnapping him. What fucking logic <laughs> is this? 
you've already kidnapped <laughs> the kid, right? So you might as well just bring him to the village and on Kali eventually just steal him by. Like, you could literally just, you know, do that. No, I know what's gonna make the situation better. Let's pretend it never happened by killing the kid. It's like, are you for real? Like, what brainlets have they literally been like for doing this like my goodness like is there nobody intelligent among the resistors like what the fuck yeah i said these guys do seem almost unreasonably dense right (laughs) it's just (laughs) almost implausibly uh i I just idiotic i just felt like i don't know Okay, either mm-hmm. Octavia Butler was made in purposely this retarded, or it was just particularly this group of people and they were just being sent around because nobody wanted them in the villages because we were there that stupid. But like, whatever the situation is, I just cannot Im- understand the sheer imbecile, the imbeciles they, they are. Like, what the hell? Like, I was reading this, I was just thinking to myself, Okay, they're arguing about what to do with a kid. Okay, understandable. And then one of them is like, oh, this is gonna bring us more trouble. It's like, what the hell have you been doing so far? Why did you go even to the village in the first place if it was going to cause more trouble? And like, is it the peer pressure that like, you're afraid that your colleagues are gonna laugh at you? It's like, mate, mm-hmm. like, seriously. I mean, they, they did have the kind of, the, the scheme to get rid of him, right, was like to sell him to another village and then Scarpa before the Owen Collie would catch up with them and cause trouble, right? It's, which... It's still a little unclear to me why exactly the the village would want to buy a, a child that would almost be guaranteed to bring the Onkali down on them when that's what they yeah. don't See, want. So this is another but, thing, right? Like, sell to what village? Like, a resistor village? Right? Presumably, yeah. yeah. right? Because uh, I was thinking, like, are they going to go sell it in Onkali village? It's like, are they... Hmm? But like, yeah, it has to be a human yeah, village, like right? But then they knew that mm. like the Onkali will sooner or later come in and collect the child. It's like, who nowadays would want to buy a child knowing that the Onkali will come back and collect it? Like, it's inevitable. Like, come on. Like, it happened several times. And <laughs> I mean, even I... Nikan says that this happened many times and they collected them back, like, every mm. single time. What is... I, I honestly... Presumably they're just... Uh, you know, uh, presumably they're just um, banking on the desperation of the uh, some of the inhabitants of the villages to to have kids that they will be willing to you know take on the risk, despite the fact that you know it's never worked before. So, but, <laughs> but then the, again, then again, like in the book, it says like, oh, I wonder what we could get for him. Maybe you know, few uh, resources, or maybe a woman or two. It's like. Slavery as well nowadays. Add slavery to this is like what are they gonna exchange like women in the village for the child? Like, what is this logic? Like, oh my, like is this seriously the setup of the war? Like, I don't know. Like, whether Octavia Butler's like really went on and beyond just to make them look idiotic, or is there something wrong with this chapter in general? I can, I don't know. I'm not getting too agitated about it. I don't know. I mean, it, it it does definitely feel like this was almost a little bit overblown on the the degree of stupidity that these guys are exhibiting. But I mean, I don't know. That's a, it's you know, humans are, are kind of complicated, right? It's it. I have I have encountered stupidities in the real world, and I have uh, in, in, in also encountered much more reasonable stuff, right? So like most most people are not this idiotic but you hear stories about people who are definitely this idiotic you know this, so it's like is it actually unrealistic i don't know you know what this reminds me of of old western like stories or books or like basically stories where you had like these people who would i don't know kidnap some people and then be like yeah we're gonna sell them sell this child for like in the next uh something next town over mm. to and then you know like the money is for like gambling or something like that like or like things like that right mm. like that sort of mm. like uh people when they're like wild west where you know some of the traveling around and they just basically you know like most of them were idiots because they couldn't stay long enough in the place because they did something stupid or something like those lines like i don't know mm. whether it was the actual people like that or it's just whatever the reason was these men 
I don't know, like, I swear, if 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 I was, like, I don't know, a leader of a village or something, I would definitely send them away from the village to do things because I would not be able to cope with them. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is probably why they, uh, pro- they yes. are where they are. Because yeah. right? I feel like nobody uh, wants them no around. No one else wants them. And the problem is they have weapons. Like, mm-hmm. you give an idiot a weapon mm-hmm. and I'm sure there's something awful is going to happen. And, like, it did happen to Tino. Mm-hmm. It's like, the moment they were given guns, like, it's honestly yeah yeah uh, so this uh yeah this whole chapter definitely uh, uh makes you very uh frustrated and hostile towards the uh this particular group of uh of men because like yeah they clearly have no idea how to handle a baby their whole plan is completely and utterly inconsistent like, and makes very little sense it just makes no sense like um, the uh you know they come to a village of uh-huh. the Kali village they meet tino they recognize him and there's a kid with him they know what's gonna happen uh-huh. like and then one of those morons does an impulsive thing and just hits tino right the guy who was arguing mm. probably in that group saying that gonna get in trouble was like it was too much in shock um to mm. to realize what the hell did the guy just do and then they just grabbed mm. the kid because you know in the whole adrenaline fuel situation you do stupid things and then when they mm. finally sat down and relaxed and you know alcohol came in to the added to the you know the equation Suddenly, mm. this man started coming up with an Einstein level of ideas. Oh, yeah, let's let's just leave the kid now. It's like, oh, or maybe let's sell him. Oh, yeah, I know what's the best solution. Let's kill him. Is God that's going to yeah. be like, no, it doesn't bring a wrath of the Onkali, an alien species that can Although, find um, them anywhere? Yeah. On the point about them uh, like trying to kill him with the, the poisonous beans, mm-hmm. I think um, one of them had said, like, I, I bet that even if we poisoned him, he wouldn't die. Uh, they, you know, they're kind of like guessing what his like, um, you know, sort of abilities yes. were. So may- maybe they weren't necessarily like uh, act- actively trying to kill him. Maybe they were just like having a almost like a drunken bet on whether or not he would die if they poisoned him. It's like <laughs> God, that's even more retarded. I think it like, might be I worse. Swear, <laughs> yeah. yeah, God, what's what? Like if that was yeah. if that was the case, I swear, like. I would, I would honestly just keep those men out of the village. Like, just send them. I don't know to, um, I don't know if the, like whatever they they're doing. Like, just away for like I don't know cutting wood or whatever, and just stay make them stay away as long as possible from the place where you live. Because God, it's just not possible to live around people like that. <laughs> yeah, this is a, uh, a a criminally dangerous level of idiocy. <laughs> uh. Wow. Oh dear! Honestly, wow. <laughs> yep. Wow. Uh, that, yeah. <laughs> so that, that more, today on more or less wraps what up grind our, Michael's uh... gears. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, so so uh, yeah, Akin's now just like alone, wandering in the forest, trying to avoid being eaten by caimans and anacondas and yeah, stuff. <laughs> so. and like, and the only thing that actually scares him is being alone because just. I, to be honest, like I, I admire the kid because, like, I would be just scared to be near the man because their stupidity could make you, you know, at any point, like, just do something really bad. And I, just, being alone, I think at this point is probably the best thing that would happen to him. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's more or less what was going through his head at the yeah. end, right? It's like <laughs> these guys are just too unpredictable. I'm, I'm, I'm out. I'll take my chances with the jungle. Yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah, and uh, you know, fair enough. To be honest. <laughs> honestly just i don't know like maybe let's go with my chapter three predictions because i really don't know what's gonna happen next like i thought that maybe like the men you know the whole situation is like oh like the chaos that ensure ensured after this whole you know one jumping into the fire mm-hmm. accidentally realized that akin is gone so they yeah. tried to find him but maybe akin manages to escape them Although, you know, being him being a kid, like, maybe he won't be able to run away far enough. But someone yeah. else finds him, maybe someone from Phoenix. I don't know, like, that's just maybe they're close enough to the village. Whatever the situation is, someone will maybe find him. But, like, I just, cro- like, cross my fingers and keep my thumbs mm. just to hold that he can escape from those idiots. <laughs> yep, yeah, so to... A fairly um, chaotic ending, right? It's I, just uh, he's off and there in in a shambles. To so. be fair, I'm surprised yeah, that like one of the sleeping men, when they were like awakened by the man falling to the fire, didn't sh- like fire off the gun just because you know, like <laughs> it's just like no. really. 
actually that's a it isn't it's a question i haven't really um thought of that much but i'm not sure what level of sophistication they have with their firearms some, some pipe guns, i don't know if we're... like some sort of like metal uh, pipe and then some wooden parts that's it like i wouldn't say anything more sophisticated than that yeah i mean it's a question of like do they have an actual um like breech loading weapon or, or are they still doing like muzzle loading with like smooth barrel type muskets and then what like what are they doing for ignition right is this like a yeah. are we talking like matchlock type thing or are we if we got to the point where we've got actual like you know properly like uh, brass jacketed rounds and, and stuff because like, there's a big like the whole evolution of the history of firearms is quite a lot of steps to recapitulate i mean you, you could probably with relatively crude tools i mean if you if you did a forged barrel for your rifling and had a um a uh, a polygonal rifle rather than a um uh, a milled one then you, you can probably make a forged barrel rifled weapon so you get much more accuracy. Uh, and it wouldn't be too difficult, I mean, depending on your level of the problem is uh, the sophistication tools, with the chemistry, you could... It's I think, though, Richard, the problem is that we have to think about that all the tools we're taking from um, the humans, unless they found the cache of with, with guns right in south somewhere. But um, I yeah, guess yeah. if if we think but, about mean, it, it has to be something related to like very basic blacksmithing. Um, so, hmm. but you know, so, so that's what I'm saying. So to to some degree, you like you might be able to pull off a a rifled barrel if you do if you make a forged rifled barrel. So what you do is you make a mandrel that's like a hexagon mm-hmm. and and turned at the appropriate uh, rate for for a rifle, and then you forge a, a barrel around. The mandrel instead of machining out a uh, a rifle the way that they do in model wep- modern mm-hmm. weapons that was how they used to do rifling in and that if you get like antique shotguns they still have the same thing that's where that you know the cartoon image of like the banana peel shotgun that comes from forged barreled um i see uh, shotguns mm-hmm. uh so the they, in, in theory that with relatively crude stuff they could make rifle barreled um stuff using using a, a forging around a mandrel um, but yeah, getting a, a solid um, firing mechanism is more tricky, um, and, and getting that reliable. Like, it's a question of like how sophisticated they are with the chemistry mostly, and also like the machining for the tooling. But if they can get to um, uh, like a percussion cap type weapon, that's going to be a lot more reliable than if they're doing just like loose black powder type stuff yeah i mean that's you know, that, that's a real pain to keep especially if, if the rain, I mean, they were just in that really wet yeah i mean at the point yeah, when they were like, like that's in, that's not gonna yeah because yeah. at the point when they fell in the river yeah. probably most of the gunpowder if it mm-hmm. was loose gunpowder would get wet um yeah so yeah. they would in a way they would have to come up with a way to make bullets but then chemistry requires to make gunpowder so they would need sulfur um find some sulfur mines then they would have to find um yeah salt yeah pizza, salt pe- charcoal. charcoal all of that so it, it i mean and for the for the um to get to the point where you can have a percussion type weapon you need some um uh some mercury or silver fulminate um to make the, you know, those little things that you get the, the, like the, the little caps that you throw at the ground they go yes, bang yes, yes, there's yes. usually silver fulminate yeah. um but you can so that same principle is what the the shock sensitive explosive that's what they use for percussion mm-hmm. caps um but the then there's the, there's the step between like it, it's a it would be a lot easier from the machining perspective to make a, a percussion cap type weapon where you still have a, a kind of a like a loose black powder chamber at the back rather than having a fully enclosed um modern style brass jacketed one where the where the explosive payload and the bullet are in one place and you've got a little um uh, like, like a, a copper percussion cap with the with the silver nitrate mm-hmm. or whatever in it that you strike is one payload, but that that's a lot more precise machining. Um, yeah. Although actually, uh, before they did the ones with the um, the, the percussion caps on on the on the back of the round, the way you do in the modern weapons, they had edge based ones um, where they put the um, the shock sensitive explosive in in like the crimping around the base of the bullet and before that they had pin shaped ones where um there was actually a physical pin mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh that was outside of the base of the round and you struck it and it, it like moved into the round and uh set off the shock sensitive explosive um so those like those different 
uh, iterations of it where they kind of evolved from the pin to the to the pinching version of the base of the round all the way up to the modern one where you've got a separate um, little shock sensitive point on the back but like you know and they represent like increasing levels of machining sophistication as you get from one to the other but the yeah it's a it, uh, um, that would be a lot more tricky to to manufacture without a much better machine shop than they're likely to have at this the point. The question then <laughs> comes from the fact uh, then, like, maybe Don Kali haven't cleared out everything from the previous, no, you know, from the post-war or pre-war, sorry, um, buildings or items, right? Maybe they found something that helped them, like, but who knows, like, with the time that mm-hmm. passed, because, you know, they, you know, they created glass windows and stuff like that, maybe... They had the time to develop the machines necessary mm. for um, those things to, to to at least some certain degree, right? So yeah, I mean it's it's probably still um, uh, spun glass type windows, right? I mean because you know back in the day when you did glass panes, they had the they were small, yes, yes, right? Yes. You know there were a few yeah. inches in diameter, and they had like they usually had a circular pattern on them because you, you basically just spun a piece of glass on the end of a for like a glass blowing type yeah, yeah, stick. Yeah. But yes, yeah, so getting from that to float glass. Where you've got uh, actual large window panes—that's a whole other different level of manufacturing sophistication. Mm. Um, so they're probably still on the old plate, uh, the, the little—it's um, not plate. What's the word for it? I can't remember now. But you know, the the, the little like spun type mm-hmm, glass mm-hmm. panes. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, it's uh, it'd be interesting to know a bit more about that because we we really don't have any details other than. Like it's you know some wood with a metal tube, so we don't have any idea what level of sophistication their firearms is, are at. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah. I wonder if we will like probably at some point. It's probably more very future prediction is that in future we'll probably find out the uh, more about the southerners, like the southern resistor groups, because they these are seems to be like the first one to have guns and everything. So there has to be someone who's very very much on the level of knowledge from those aspects that helps can you know help people to actually develop those things and then engineering knowledge mm-hmm. over those things so who knows now i say octavius is not living up to the uh the international stereotype of americans as gun obsessives yeah <laughs> we need more details need more details <laughs> <laughs> It's imperative that we know yeah. the manufacturing of the guns at this point, because otherwise we cannot under- immerse ourselves. <laughs> well, we don't know the level of, uh, of uh, you know, technical capability. No. <laughs> There's a big difference between how long it takes you to reload and how well you can handle different weather conditions, depending on the way your, your sure. firearms are made. Anyway. anyway. But just it's just <laughs> finishing this off, like, we know that how many years have passed? 30? Um, between the book one and, and book two, when? I think we came to conclusions. Yeah, 30 years, right? Because yeah, about 30 um, years, initially yeah. I thought it was like seven, eight years, but it was actually 30 years. So in 30 years, mm-hmm. with enough like motivation, I feel like there would be quite a substantial, at least like creation of machines, certain machines and stuff like that, like, you know, windmills for electricity and then maybe some generators at some point. Yeah, I mean, the main difficulty is is the the mineral exploitation. Yeah, that's right? is it. How do you get the raw materials? It's the, it's the same thing we talked about before about the material yeah. side stuff, right? Maybe you could make a machine shop in that time, but only if you've got a decent source of steel. Hmm. And that's. If, I mean, unless the yeah. like, because I know that we um, at some point Tino said that they would go scavenging, right? They'll go around, so there has to be some some remnants. Mm-hmm. So, the, the, so potentially, maybe they found something. Yeah, I mean, like a pre-war cache of purified metals would be a uh, yeah a good starting point. Potentially, or at least some sort of machines that they can basically reutilize their parts, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But anyway, I guess that's that's it for today. I guess. Yes. Yeah. We we got a little bit uh, on time. Off yeah, on a tangent there at the end the again. beginning and the end, yes. <laughs> so everyone, thank you very much for listening. Um, we are Xenothesis. You can find all the places we upload our podcast on xenothesis.com. I was Michael Glinko. I was Richard Acton. Bye. Goodbye. Bye.